everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about today. I'm going to be getting into and starting off the Warner Media head. Talks about the future of the Snyderverse, the future of DC, and where it is going following Zack Snyder's Justice League. Also, some comments made by Michael Keaton regarding his role in The Flash leaves a little bit of uncertainty if he will actually be in the film. Regal is set to open back up in the next few weeks and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is breaking news that just happened at the start of recording this podcast. And it really deals with a major studio and making a big paradigm shift in both its theatrical exhibition for 2021, but also the future of the streaming service for the foreseeable future. And that is the Walt Disney Studios has announced major moves at the start of this recording. And as of right now, we know that Black Widow will be moving from May 1st of 2021 to July 9th of 2021. And instead of just debuting in theaters, it will be going the hybrid route of both premiering in theaters and on Disney Plus for premiere access of $30. Same thing also for Cruella, which will stay on its May 28th release date. However, instead of just debuting in theaters, it will also have the hybrid release of Disney Plus premiere access and in theaters, premiere access again being an additional $30. Also in light of Black Widow moving to July 9th, taking over from the place of Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi will move to the fall movie season at the beginning of September for Labor Day weekend on September 3rd, which will be the first time an MCU film has ever debuted in that month, the month of September. Eternals, Spider-Man No Way Home are all staying on their release dates as of right now. Pixar's Luca, which is the follow-up after Disney Pixar Soul, will be debuting on Disney Plus for free following the same release strategy as Soul did back during the Christmas time, and it will not have a theatrical release. It'll still debut on June 18th. And then after those major release dates, we get into some of the 20th Century Studios films that are being pushed back because of these release dates. Free Guy will be moving, will be moving from its May release date to August 13th. The Kingsman will be moving from August to December 22nd. Deep Water, which stars Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, will be moving to January 14th. 14th, 2022, and Death on the Nile, which was debuted to set for the fall movie season, winter movie season of this year, will be moving to February 11th, 2022. So those are all the details that I have as of right now. I'm going to be getting into more of my reactions once I see more of the details regarding this news, but still a major, major, major bombshell dropping today. The big headline, though, being that Black Widow will be moving to July 9th in theaters and on Disney Plus premiere access and Shang-Chi moving to September 3rd. Cruella moving or staying on May 28th, but moving to Disney Plus premiere access slot along with theaters as well. And Luca moving to Disney Plus for free, like Pixar Soul did around the Christmas time. So those are the big headlines right now. I'm going to talk a lot more about it tomorrow on the Samba Cell podcast, but it just came out at the time of this recording, so I wanted to get it out there and let you guys know about it if you don't have those details as of yet. So tomorrow we'll get more in-depth about it, what it means 
for the rest of the theatrical summer movie season, what it means for streaming, what it means for theaters, and really how this all plays out because Disney was really the last one to stand tall, especially with the biggest franchise and 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 studio to date with Marvel Studios keeping all of its its films exclusively for theaters. As of right now with Black Widow, it seems that is not the case and it will be following the Aiken of what Mulan and Raya and the Last Dragon just did a few weeks ago. So big news, Black Widow moving to July 9th, but it'll be both in theaters and on Disney Premier Access for $30. Same thing with Cruella staying on its May 28th release date. So again, big news just coming out and I'll have more about it tomorrow on the San Vassell podcast. But moving on away from that, the, the first topic that I wanted to start out on before the breaking news hit is the comments made by Warner Media Chair and Sarnoff, who is kind of the leader when it comes to a lot of the television film properties around the entire company. And she's kind of one of the main people that makes the final decisions on the directions that a lot of these artists are going to go on with these films. And under the purview of Warner Media, under Ann Sarnoff, is of course the DC franchise. And in light of Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out this past weekend, there's been a lot of, of buzz and speculation on, on because of the great amount of positive feedback that Zack Snyder's Justice League has gotten. A lot of the buzz that has come out, there's been a lot of people talking about it. People are wondering if this is going to be the beginning of potentially hashtag restoring the Snyderverse. And in an article yesterday in Variety, Anne Sarnoff was interviewed talking about the future of the DC Cinematic Universe and if it does include Zack Snyder in any kind of way, shape, or form. And when she commented on that, it seems like it it's not going to go anywhere as of yet. And this is what she had to say regarding any kind future for Zack Snyder and his universe that he wanted to continue on after Justice League. This is what she had to say. I appreciate that they love Zack's work and we are very thankful for his many contributions to DC. We're just so happy that he could bring his cut of the Justice League to life because this wasn't in the plan until about a year ago. With that comes the completion of his trilogy. We're very happy we've done this and we're very excited about the plans we have for all the multi-dimensional DC characters that are being developed right now. And then she goes on to talk about the future of DC moving forward. She, she says, we've got an incredible group of creators, television series creators, Mac series creators, feature film creators, who are basically broadening the base of the talent that we work with on DC because we're so excited about the potential to build out the DC multiverse. It's one of the reasons why I was hired almost two years ago. The before and after was it was very siloed organization with no connectivity between the businesses. DC was being developed, but in a kind of monolithic way in each division. My mantra coming in was to make it bigger and broader, and we really want to surprise and delight the fans with a more connective tissue across the various media and platforms. I'm talking movies, HBO Max, television, and our games division. We're always going to listen to our fans, but we are in service of the broadest fan base, and we owe them an integrated, holistic strategy. We are the shepherds of the franchise, and hopefully when the fans and see what we got in store, they'll know that DC is in good hands across many platforms with many different creators. We want different voices in the mix. For certain fans that want singular voices, they may be disappointed, but we would ask them to be patient and see what we got in store because perhaps the newer voices in the mix will just be as compelling stories to tell. On balance, you of course want to listen to your fans, but we do want to stay true to our 
our vision and our mission for DC and build that out. We have weekly meetings with our key execs in every division. Late last August, I was made head of studios and networks, and now I have all the creative groups underneath me. So now around the table that it's not just Warner Brothers Film, Warner Brothers Television, and Warner Brothers Games, but it includes HBO and HBO Max and the Turner Networks, Adult Swim, and the Kids and Family Networks. We are involving all of those people in our plans going forward, and that means the media is going to be more connected, sometimes in subtle ways and sometimes in more overt ways. Like opposite the Suicide Squad, we're spinning out Peacemaker with James Gunn and John Cena passionately developing that for HBO Max. It's my job to make sure that we super serve our fans across all demos and all fan bases. And talking about the, the way forward and the vision forward of seeing all how all this will be connected together and who will be orchestrating that, this is what she had to say. The connected tissue in the middle is Jim Lee, who oversees DC Comics. Jim lives and breathes the canon of DC, and he works with all of the divisions to make sure the storylines are true to the canon. He helps them come up with ideas for new storylines. Jim is very much in the middle of everything, but the group together helps spur on new ideas, but there's not one person calling the shots because I want all the voices in the room to offer their expertise and knowledge of their formats. So that is really kind of the crux of a lot of the the answers that Ann Sarnoff was giving to Variety about the future of DC. And there's a lot really to take away from what she was talking about. But I think some of the main points is that as of right now, it seems like they are not going to continue forward with the Snyderverse. They are looking as at Zack Snyder's Justice League as the kind of completion of the trilogy that he started in Man of Steel. And when you watch Justice League, you can kind of see that it is kind of the conclusion of one trilogy, but also the beginning of this other other trilogy that he would have done with both his second and third film in his intended Justice League trilogy. But it it sounds like from what every, everything that Ann Sarnoff is saying is that they, this regime of Warner Brothers, because it's a very different one than when Zack Snyder exited from Justice League, where that was consistent of Jeff Johns, John Berg, Kevin Suchihara. This is a very different group than what we had before. This is Toby Emmerich, Walter Hamada is now the DC Films president, not Jeff Johns, and Aaron and Sarnoff is overseeing all of this. So I think for that group over at Warner Media, they want to, I think, kind of atone for everything that happened in the past regime and start up their own universe in a way and and they say that involves the multiverse which they want to start off with the flash they want to have a new batman they want to have black uh, black adam they want to have a zatanna film which we talked about yesterday with emerald fennell coming on to write the script for that one so there's different pockets of the universe that they really want to explore they want to do another solo superman film but maybe add a little bit more diversity to that character instead of making him white instead of making clark kent so they want i think have multiple voices in this room and that's where they're I think really trying to move forward with and the one big area and the one key key phrase that Anne Sarnoff uses when talking about this strategy and what she wants to do in in making this a holistic kind of cinematic universe in different areas when she says 
We want different voices in the mix. For certain fans that want singular voices, they may be disappointed, but we would ask them to be patient and see what we've got in store because perhaps the newer voices in the mix will be just as compelling stories to tell. And it's I think it's really that statement is kind of telling in the fact that they are kind of taking it film by film. They're not really planning everything out as it goes along. And I think when she says we're not going with one singular vision, that's referencing, I think, Zack Snyder a little bit in that he had one big grand vision for how he wanted to take these characters in his Justice League films, and that's not what this regime of Warner Brothers of DC wants to do right now. They want to tell all of these different stories, and I can completely understand that and where they're coming from. And again, I'm going to have a spoiler review later on today about Zack Snyder's Justice League, so I'll get into it a lot more, but I really did like Zack Snyder's Justice League. I liked the direction he was taking those characters. I'm a huge fan now of Man of Steel. I like what Snyder did in BVS, even though there are some issues with that film and I would love to see his the rest of his story play out I would love to see a solo Ben Affleck film so maybe we get those down the line but I think right now Walter Hermata Toby Emmerich and Sarnoff, they want to explore different options, going with the Batman film with Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson, and then spinning that off into an HBO Max show with the GCPD, and just like Anne says with the Suicide Squad and spinning that off into Peacemaker, they want to think kind of create all these different all this different content with different characters that people can experience and like throughout. Like you're not just telling one whole story. And I think that's really where she's trying to get at when talking about this. And that the the one thing that I think is a a little shaky is the, the fact that she references Jim Lee when it comes to kind of being uh, the, the vision moving forward and that he's going to be somebody that is somebody that we go to for a lot of stuff. It seems like he's really the comic book guy. And I think if you want to go to comic books and storylines and things to adapt, he's the person to do that with. But when you talk about vision, when you talk about somebody that is the middle person that can compromise and that can help shepherd the filmmakers with the studio, again, comparing it to Marvel, that's not a Kevin Feige-like person. Uh, Jim Lee seems like he is a comic book connoisseur. He's somebody that is just ingrained into the comic book lore, but he doesn't have that film television experience. With Kevin Feige, he was enriched and seeped into the lore of the comic books of Marvel. However, he also had the experience of working on a lot of Marvel productions. He worked on some of the X-Men films. He worked on the Spider-Man films. He had in the Daredevil film that Ben Affleck was in in the early 2000s. He has ideas and an idea for how to run multiple sets. And he's obviously done it throughout his regime as the creative head over at Marvel Studios. So you need somebody that can be kind of that middleman a little bit or the full overseer for what you want your cinematic universe to really be. And I think for DC, they are still kind of just kind of going about it, just feeling their way through it, not really having any kind of idea. And I can understand for some fans, if they really want to see more Zack Snyder stuff, you can make it into another Elseworlds kind of thing. However, I again, because there is, I think, a lot of baggage that comes with that past, I think 
Warner Brothers, DC, they all want to move on from that. And the only way that I think Zack Snyder could ever really continue his trilogy, his story, is if it's on HBO Max. And maybe Jason Keelar, who is the CEO of Warner Media, he is the, the, the guy over there, then maybe he's able to supersede over everybody. And, and if Zack Snyder's Justice League does turn out to be the great success that it seems like it turned out to be this past weekend then maybe we get more of his stories. But for right now, I think just based off of those comments alone, I don't think we're going to get any more of his story, which again, for me, I wish we could see more of. But at the same time, I can really kind of understand them wanting to move in another direction. I'm really excited to see more of that direction. However, if there is if there is a way to get Ben Affleck's Batman, if there's a way to get more Zack Snyder's Justice League, I would be all for it. And I can also see at the same time where you can look at Zack Snyder's Justice League as the closing of a trilogy from what he started with BVS. Because I think for telling those that th- that story, I think it does a very good job of doing that. And then it also sets up things for two additional films as well. So uh, again, I- I'm not totally surprised by this news. I'm a little saddened by it because I do think that there is an opportunity that they can capitalize on. And again, maybe something changes in the next few days, maybe something changes in the next few months that could reverse a lot of the comments that were made here, but we'll see what happens. I mean, we never thought we would get Zack Snyder's Justice League, and here we are today talking about it afterwards. So we'll see where it goes from here, but I'm not totally surprised by what is being talked about here and that they don't just want a singular vision, but they want a vision where they're inclusive of a whole lot of artists telling different stories, and I think that is exactly what what they're going to be doing moving forward. So what do you guys think about these comments made by Ann Sarnoff regarding the future of the DCEU? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And one thing also in the DC universe that I'm very much looking forward to is the Flash movie. And over the last few months, the casting for that film has got me very excited. We are going to get Iris West in the Flash movie, the same actress that was in Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to return in that role. We're also going to be getting Ben Affleck's Batman once again. So uh, again, going back to the future of DC, some characters are still being plucked from that universe and being put in these films. And it seems like we're also going to be getting a Michael Keaton return as Batman from the Burton franchise from the late 80s, early 90s. And I think that has everyone excited for what this Batman film, or not Batman film, excuse me, but Flash film can be and what they're looking to to tell the story with and, and, and the potentiality for this film. And so I think a lot of people are excited to see multiple Batman in this film and the story of of this Flash and, and of Barry Allen. But one of the things that it seems like now could be a little bit on the fence is Michael Keaton returning as Batman. And talking to Deadline, this is what he had to say about the role of Batman in his uncertainty and actually playing the Cape Crusader once again in the Flash film. I am needing a minute to think about it because I'm so fortunate and blessed. I got so much going on now, I'm really into work right now. I don't know why, but I am. So yeah, I mean, you know, 
tell you the truth, somewhere on my iPad is an iteration of the whole Flash thing that I haven't yet had time to read. I called them and said, I have to be honest with you, I can't look at anything right now, Keaton told Deadline. I am so deep into this thing I'm doing, which is Hulu, the Hulu series Dope Sick. Also, I'm prepping a thing I'm producing and getting ready to do, to do down the road in the fall. That'll be in, and I feel responsible to that. Keaton added, so yeah, there is that. I'm not sh- I'm not being cute or coy. If I talked about Batman, I'll j- be just bullshitting you. I don't really know how. I have to look at the last draft. I'm more concerned. I keep my eye more on the COVID situation in the UK than anything, said Keaton, referring to, play- to plans for Flash to film in late April at Warner Brothers Studio Levinson. That will determine everything. So that's why I'm living outside in the city here on 17 acres, staying away from everybody because the COVID thing has got me really concerned. So that's my first thing about all projects. I look at it and go, is this thing going to kill me literally? And you know, if it doesn't, then we walk or we talk, excuse me. I'm going to see what happens here. This is going to be kind of fun. We'll see what happens. I think it's kind of a drag. We're talking about it. And I'm like, do you really know what the hell you're talking about? I mean, I could bullshit you, but once I go, I don't know how we're going to do this or not. They say, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing it. Then I go, okay, now I'm going to overthink it. But until then, I don't want to think about it. You know what? You know, you want to say like Joe Pesci from my cousin, Benny, it's a thing, but it's not a thing. So there a lot to really kind of unpack from what Keaton was really saying there. But it sounds like with especially with with coronavirus right now and the way that productions are being run, a lot of actors have to drop out of projects, unfortunately, because of overlap with their schedules. And sometimes before COVID, you would see that happen. An actor or actress would drop out because scheduling issues, some things would overlap and they just wouldn't be able to make it because of certain commitments to other projects that they're a part of. And with COVID, that makes it a lot harder because along with getting to set and no matter how big your role is, you also have to quarantine for two weeks. So a lot of these actors and actresses and crew members on whether it's a a film project or a television show, they have to stay in that area for the duration of their production. So for a lot of television shows, they haven't really been home for months. They've been staying in one place for a majority of the time other than maybe going home for the holiday breaks like during Thanksgiving or during the Christmas time, the holiday time, excuse me. But for a lot of other for for a lot of performers though other than those holidays they're kind of staying in a trailer or in a hotel for long extended periods of time and because of that quarantine period it's it's a lot harder to go from one place to another in less than 24 hours if you're shooting for a smaller role and then you come back for your bigger role that you're committed to, you can't really do that because you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks and then shoot your thing and then go back and quarantine and then continue to shoot whatever you were before going to another film set. So it, it makes it a lot more complicated than it was even beforehand. And it sounds like for me, that's what kind of Keaton is referring to a lot when it comes to the Batman film and the Batman role. Because he, he play, even though he says he's not trying to play coy, he kind of is a little bit where it's like, look, I haven't read the the script yet, which to me, that's a little concerning. And the fact that maybe they're still going through drafts of the script when they're casting right now for the Flash film. So that to me is a little concerning, but also the fact that maybe Keaton doesn't really have that big of a role in this film anyway. And maybe it's not a cameo appearance, but maybe it's more of a supporting role than anything else. And 
I'm just very curious as to seeing if Keaton does does continue to be a part of this project. And again, it also goes to the COVID situation where also you understand that as well in which, listen, if, if, if you feel at risk and you feel like you're, you'll, you'll be putting yourself at risk by going to multiple locations if you're allowed to do that and multiple sets, then you shouldn't you shouldn't put yourself in that risky situation anyway in any kind of case whatsoever so i just think it seems like there's a lot more complications to this than meets the eye it it doesn't sound like michael keaton has officially dropped out of playing the batman but who knows i mean there there's been so many crazy things that have happened in productions alone when you see people dropping in or dropping out of certain productions when it seems like they're going to be there so we'll see what happens but when it comes to michael keaton in the batman in the flash film well, hopefully it happens because I think that got a lot of people excited and intrigued by this flash film when you announced him coming back to play the Cape Crusader, when you announced Ben Affleck to come back as Batman as well. I think people got very intrigued by what this film is going to entail, what the story of it is going to be, even though we have an idea that it's going to take place within the multiverse. It's going to have a flashpoint element to it, it sounds like. So I'm very, very curious to see where this goes. But when it comes to Michael Keaton, I think that would be a big blow if if they're not able to have him on set and have him in that film but again if it's because of covid and the protocols it just i think would be chalked up to an unfortunate situation where just timing couldn't work itself out and and again it sounds like he's more of a lead character in this new hulu series dope sick that it sounds like he has more of a supporting limited role in the flash film so again priority is going to come with a lot of these projects and you look at something like pedro Pascal, who, even though he's going to be working on The Mandalorian still, his top priority is going to be his new role as Joel in The Last of Us television adaptation. So, again, for a lot of actors right now, it's about prioritizing which projects are not just more important, but which projects are you more associated with right now. And for Michael Keaton, it sounds like right now Dope Sick is a big priority for him right now. He's more of a main character in it. And whatever projects he's working on next... Sounds like he's going to be the lead in those movies. So if he's not the lead in The Flash, then maybe he might have to sacrifice, unfortunately, one thing over the other and take those other responsibilities than The Flash film. So again, that seems like where this is headed, but who knows? Maybe they're able to clear it up. They are setting to begin principal photography on the film in the next few weeks in April. So we'll see where this all leads, but not a good situation overall right now. And again, it kind of goes to DC a little bit in that if you knew that this wouldn't work out and it does turn out that Michael Keaton can't come back as Batman, then you have another problem on your hands because you promised the fans this. This was a big linchpin for getting fans excited about the Flash, where you have multiple Batman in this film, not having him in it now, what else are you going to advertise along with this film? Because, again, I love Ben Affleck as Batman, but and I think people are going to be excited to see him back, but if it is kind of more of a cameo or a, a more limited role than even what Keaton had, then that's not really going to entice a lot of people to go to see the movie as much I believe. So... We'll see where it goes from here, but not a great sign in the un- in the uncertainty surrounding Michael Keaton and his role in The Flash as Batman. So what do you guys think about this news regarding Keaton and Batman? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. Now I want to move on to some lighter news 
that is happening in the world of Hollywood. And earlier this morning, it was announced that Regal Theaters, which is owned by the one and only Cineworld, is setting to open up their theaters back once again in the coming months. And it was announced that Cineworld will be opening its Regal Theaters in the United States on April 2nd for limited releases of the highly anticipated blockbuster Godzilla vs. Kong. And then it will have more of a wider release for the next HBO or not HBO, but excuse me, but Warner Brothers title, and that is Mortal Kombat on April 16th. And then in, in the UK, which it is a major player in the UK in regards to its theatrical exhibition, will be releasing on May 17th, and it'll also have its drive-in set ready for an opening on April 12th. So great news in regards to having the second largest theater chain in the United States back up and running once again. And along with that positive news, it also was announced that Cineworld also reached a deal with Warner Brothers and that they signed a multi-year agreement in which films from Warner Brothers Pictures will be put in Cineworld theaters in the United States during their opening weekend. And that will begin in 2022. And it will have a exclusive theatrical release window of 45 days before going to PVOD or a streaming service of any kind. So this seems to take place after the craziness of what ensued this year in 2021 with Warner Media, HBO, or Warner Brothers Pictures announcing that HBO Max will be doing an exclusive day and date release of all 17 of their titles for the 2021 slate. It seems like going back for 2022, at least in Regal, and I'm sure this is going to happen with a lot of the other theater exhibitions as well because they're not going to want to be excluded of this, that it will be kind of reverting back to a 45-day window and that in 2022 for Warner Brothers slate, that is when this will begin. So when you have major film franchises such as the Batman, the new Batman with Robert Pattinson set for March 4th, Fantastic Beasts 3 set for July 15th, The Flash set for November 4th, and Aquaman 2 as of right now set for December 16th. Those are all going to be going back to theaters first before going to streaming and that'll be the first time that has happened when it does happen in 2022 since Tenet was released at least here in the States during Labor Day weekend. So a lot of news to kind of take from this but again I think this is a a really good deal and I think for, for Regal, for Cineworld, they are a lot about the the theatrical model. And they are kind of the ones that have been really kind of holding out when it comes to debuting these films in on HBO Max and in theaters. It, they didn't do it for Wonder Woman 1984, I believe, and they were closed down for a good portion of the last few months. So I think they realized that, well, we want to keep theaters open for, we want to keep these films in theaters for a little bit once they come out initially. So having kind of that first month, month and a half in theaters, I think will help really well with theaters, especially in the fact that you get that initial buzz out right away. You get people talking about the film. They'll go to the theaters first to watch it. And then if they want to see it again, they can watch it on HBO Max, PVOD, whatever Warner Media decides to do with those films for its home media release. So I, I, I think this is a good thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if AMC, Cinemark get in on this deal as well and decide to expand well, expand on this deal and say that, well, if 
Regal is getting a piece of the pie. We want a piece of this pie as well. So we'll see what happens with this. And for Regal, this is kind of their deal for what they worked with in in regards to what AMC did with NBC Universal in that if that there's a certain amount of, of money that could be made before a film goes to an exclusive date after about two weeks in theaters before going to PVOD. So that is exactly what could be happening here with Regal as well. AMC has NBC Universal and now Regal has Warner Media, Warner Brothers. So what do you guys think about this news? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the next thing that I do want to talk about is going into some award season news that came out today. And according to Deadline, for the third straight year, there will be no host for the 93rd annual Academy Awards. And according to the article from Deadline, it seems like the producers, including Steven Soderbergh for this year's Oscars, will be looking to have a rotation of presenters throughout the night on April 25th. And also in the details, it is reported that a majority of the show will be taking place in Union Station, and it'll also be taking place in the Dolby Theater, which according to rumors and reports, that is where they might be housing a lot of the performers for the Academy Awards that year. And they have said that they are not doing a COVID show like the Golden Globes or the Emmys where you'll be coming in from Zoom. If you cannot make it to the actual events, kind of like what the Grammys did, then the presenters that are presenting your category, if you are not there, they will accept it upon your behalf if you cannot be there. So the Academy is not following in the mistakes that were made by the Hollywood Forum Press when it came to their telecast of having people kind of basically basically coming in through Zoom or what the Emmys were doing basically and coming in through Zoom as well. This is going to be a as as good as a show that you can possibly do in the midst of a pandemic right now with as much social distancing as possible. And I think that is exactly what the Union Station is going to be used for, where that place is going to be housing the nominees because you can have the most space there. And even if the present or not the presenters, but even if the performers do not perform in the Dolby or even if those are pre-recorded, I do believe that maybe in order to kind of keep the, the, the spread happening or kind of the, the social distancing, the presenters could be brought into the Dolby Theater and then you can kind of have it hooked into the Union Station where the presenters or the the presenters present the award, the winner, and then the winner of that category goes up to accept the Oscar with maybe the trophy person next to them handing them the award. And then you just have the winner state their speech and give their speech of that night. So I think the Oscars are taking the right approach with this. It'll be very interesting to see how much space they can possibly have and and they are making it mandatory and I think that is what they have to do because I think they saw what the Grammys did where people dressed up, they social distanced, they wore masks. If you do it right, you can have a legit show with people in place. It's not like there's so many people you can't do it. If you have the right mentality, if you have a great plan in place that you've been working on for a long time, then I think you'd be able to implement this. And Even though I didn't watch a lot of the Grammys, from what I heard and for the little that I saw I did like the format and the staging for what the Grammys did on that night. So when it comes to the host, um, 
I'm all for that. I, I don't think you really need a host. I, I like kind of like the beginning where is if someone could do like a funny opening skit or something, that would be pretty cool. But once the, after that happens, once we get into the awards, I'm all about just just rolling out the awards, just one after the other, knocking them all out throughout the night so we can get on out of there. So I, I'm not really that shocked by this. I'm not that surprised and I'm not that angry that there isn't a host. I think we don't need a host for a lot of these award shows anymore. I just think that they add on more flair and pop than they really need to at this moment in time. There's always so many categories throughout the night that you need to get to. And I think especially for people for that award show, once you kind of get into the middle of the night, you just really want to watch the award, see who wins, and that's pretty much it. So... Um, I, I think we could still get a few skits here and there with some familiar faces, but I think overall, not having the host is the best way to go with the Oscars. And I'm really interested to see what the producers do for this this show and how it comes across and how they're able to execute on it and are they able to really kind of sync up with two different locations at the same time. I'm very curious about that, and I like where this year's Oscars are heading, and I think they are doing a very good job than a lot of people predicted they would for this year's Oscars in the midst of a pandemic. So what do you guys think about this news? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And now the final bit of, well, one of the last bits of movie news that I want to talk about is Seth Rogen being cast in Steven Spielberg's next film. Seth Rogen will be playing the uncle or basically Steven Spielberg's favorite uncle and Michelle Williams will be playing the mother. And this film will be loosely based on the great director's childhood, I almost said adulthood, but childhood in Arizona. And right now, Steven Spielberg is turning to cast younger kids in this film. He's looking for somebody to play his younger self. And even though this is loosely based on Steven Spielberg's life, this isn't going to be a biopic directed by Spielberg depicting his life. It seems like there's going to be some creative differences that happen to make it more of an authentic film. But some of the themes and story points could very well be a reflection of what Spielberg went through and, and, and what he experienced in his childhood in Arizona. So I'm very excited about this film. And it's always interesting to see kind of like a director take on an aspect of his life and to cast people that could play personal people within Steven Spielberg's life and to cast Michelle Williams, who's a great hire, is really cool. But also getting somebody like Seth Rogen, which uh, Seth Rogen has really kind of turned it around over the last few years. He's still a comedic guy, but he's a producer now. He's got a great show in The Boys that he is really kind of shepherding with his production company. But he's also somebody that is in a lot of serious films. One of the notable ones from the last few years or so is Steve Jobs and the film with Michael Fassbender, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Aaron Sorkin. So he definitely has some dramatic chops. And I think it seems like maybe this film will ask for a mixture of that, where you have to be serious at some points, but at the same time, you can kind of be comedic and funny. And Seth Rogen has really kind of evolved into that. And to see him work with a, a prestigious director like Spielberg, I'm all for that. So I'm very excited to see what Seth Rogen is able to bring to this table. And along with directing the film, Steven Spielberg will also be co-writing the script along with his casual screenwriting uh, alum or his, his go-to guy for writing scripts. And that is Tony 
Kushner, who wrote West Side Story for him, also wrote Lincoln and The Post. And this will be the first time that Steven Spielberg has taken part in the writing process, the pre-production aspect of the script, since his, I think, underrated hit in 2001's AI with Haley Joel Osment. So I'm excited to see what Steven Spielberg does with this. And it seems like... These, these last few movies that he's done from West Side Story, which we're going to get hopefully this year, and also with a film like this, it seems like he's taking his creative differences a little bit outside the box. And I think for something like this film, it, he's outside the box a little bit, but he's also familiar in talking about kids and their childhoods and their dreams and wonders and a coming of age film. He's done that in a lot of his movies, especially from the 80s and 90s, that I think people can really gravitate towards. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with this film. Is it an Oscar-nominated or Oscar-caliber award-season-friendly film? I don't know. I, this one is is might be a little bit more toss-up in the air, but again, it's Steven Spielberg. You can always count him in to be in that award-season conversation no matter what film he's doing. So I think this is a, this is a really interesting film for him to do and to tackle, and obviously it makes sense that he's tackling it because it it takes some parts of his personal life. So I'm very interested to see how Spielberg portrays himself and his family in a way that again isn't telling a straight up biopic of Steven Spielberg, but you get an idea, and it seems like some plot points could be factored into what Steven Spielberg experienced in his childhood. So I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about this film. I'm excited to see who. Spielberg cast as himself as a young kid, who he cast as maybe siblings of Steven Spielberg, some other relatives of Steven Spielberg that we might get in this film. I'm very excited about it, but to get Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams on the same film, it's going to be really cool to see that kind of chemistry coexist. And again, for Seth Rogen to be in a Steven Spielberg film, if you were to ask me, the guy from Pineapple Express, Superbad, Neighbors, that he was going to end up with one of the greatest, if not the greatest director of all time, uh, I would have said you're crazy. But here we are today, and it seems like Seth Rogen is going to learn a lot from the master himself in Steven Spielberg. What do you guys think about this role choice to get Seth Rogen and Steven Spielberg on the same team. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of news that I want to talk about on the Sam Vassell podcast today is news according to Walt Disney and Disney Plus, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series premiere has become the most watched premiere on Disney Plus, period, surpassing both the premieres of WandaVision and the second season premiere of The Mandalorian. So to me, the the big thing with this is even though I see those words, I don't see numbers. And again, whenever I hear that a show or a movie on a streaming service broke records, unless you show me the numbers proving that, then again, I take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. And the same thing is going to be said about Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League. If HBO, HBO Max, Warner Media come out and say Zack Snyder's Justice League is the most watched HBO Max title ever, I'd be happy about that. But you got to show me the numbers for that. Otherwise, it's all being taken with a grain of salt. So I think if this is true, then I'm happy for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think a lot more people were anticipating this than people realized. I think this could very well be kind of, of what a lot of post-Avengers films experience, like Iron Man after the first Avengers and Spider-Man Far From Home after Avengers Endgame. They experience a big bump because people are looking forward to what the next story is going to be. And I think after WandaVision, which turned out to be so popular 
over the first few months of the year that just having just even just a week off, I think, gives a lot of momentum moving forward for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and showcasing a lot of the reviews that have come out. It's got a lot of praise for its first episode. So I think there is a genuine interest in this show. It also links back to a very popular MCU character from the movies and Captain America, Steve Rogers. So I think having those two guys kind of be front and center gets a lot of people excited. The action looks great. It looks like a Marvel movie broken up into a television show. So I'm very, very excited for for what we're going to get with this film moving or not film, excuse me, but television show moving forward. But again, without the numbers, it's very, very hard to really react to this in a positive manner, because, again, you don't you don't have anything to compare these numbers to. It should be like the box office, but it's not the box office where a lot of streaming services, which are owned by studios and companies now, want to try to get the best news out there possible and sometimes they're gonna have to break bad news but when it comes to the first few weekends of something coming out they're gonna put out the biggest pr campaign they possibly can and getting more people to come subscribe to their streaming services but also to watch a lot of this content as well so again i'm i wouldn't be i'm not surprised if this does turn out to be the case but again i have to see the numbers to really get an idea for what this could really amount to and also when you look at a lot of the some of the indicators of maybe certain people have certain television sets that you can track how many people watch this show over this amount of time and there was one chart in an article that i saw which i to me wasn't really all that accurate it was on deadline and i just think that it was something that really I think just kind of showcased just a few numbers, but nothing really significant. It corroborated a little bit with what Disney's putting out there. But again, without the concrete numbers or some variable of numbers, it's very, very hard to get behind that the Falcon Winter Soldier was the most watched series premiere in the history of Disney Plus, which again is about a year and a half old. So there's some stuff out there, not a whole lot of stuff, but some stuff. So I'm, 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 I'm happy about this, but at the same time being caught about not having any numbers associated with this news. So what do you guys think about the Falcon and Winter Soldier potentially breaking records and becoming the most watched premiere on Disney Plus? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sampasel Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the ambiguous podcast solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, make sure to check out my YouTube channel at The Sam Bissell Podcast. And again, I will have my full spoiler review of Zack Snyder's Justice League in the next few hours. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure to put out a social media post for it. 
But until then, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll talk more about Black Widow and the, the major breaking news that came out at the top of this show at the time of recording this. So until tomorrow, until Zack Snyder's Justice League spoiler review, have a wonderful rest of your day, and until next time, keep on screening. 